This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for December 13th, 2019. In this week's episode, Apple issues OS updates, including a security update for iOS 12. Plus, we'll look at the new Mac Pro. Google finds an Apple intelligent tracking vulnerability, ring location data may be posted online, and Apple uses DMCA to remove iPhone security info. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. It's been a busy week, hasn't it, Josh? Boy, there's been a lot of news, actually. Well, there's a lot of news, but there's a lot of stuff for us. I mean, we, we had the Apple upgrade dance a couple of days ago when everything got upgraded. Mac OS, iOS, watchOS, HomePod OS, TVOS, everything. And that's really tiring when you've got, let's see, two, four, six, eight Apple devices. You have to download all that software. Fortunately, I have fast fiber now. Uh, but even when I was downloading the Mac updates, all of a sudden, the bandwidth just died. Not my bandwidth. Apple was oversaturated. Really? You know, if you start downloading them when they first, when people first announce them on Twitter, you can get everything really quickly. But about a half hour later, when everyone else has found out, then sometimes it gets really slow. Hmm. Yeah, that's funny. You know, Apple, usually their servers are pretty fast. At a, a previous place where I worked, we had a 10 gigabit connection to the Internet. And uh, so we had some pretty fast downloads from Apple most of the time. But uh, but yeah, I, I can see how how certainly any server can get overwhelmed or any really cluster of servers can get overwhelmed if enough people are downloading it all at the same time. OK, so with all these updates, there are tons of security updates. And I know you would love to spend an entire episode just going through every single security update and explaining what they are. But we're not going to do that because there's more interesting news. So. Maybe let us know what the most interesting security updates are. Yeah, we'll actually have an article on the Mac security blog that we'll link to in the show notes. So uh, it gives some interesting details about some of these things. Um, actually, one of the things that I find most interesting about this is that Apple actually released um, uh, an update for iOS 12 again. Um, this is Apple's done this a few times now, released uh, an update for iOS 12, the previous version of iOS. Because remember, before this, Apple had never released, like, like when iOS 12 was the most recent version of iOS, they hadn't been releasing patches for iOS 11. They just didn't do that. They never did that in previous years. And now um, we're seeing Apple do something very similar to what they're doing with macOS where they're not patching every vulnerability that exists but they're like cherry picking okay this one vulnerability we're going to decide to patch that one for iOS 12 so i don't know like who at apple is deciding okay that one vulnerability is interesting enough that we should patch that one and we'll just ignore all the rest that may also apply to iOS 12 that i find so bizarre but at least Apple is patching something for older devices. When you look at the compatibility, iOS 13 is compatible back to the iPhone 6S. So 6S, 7, 8, X, 11, that's five generations. Um, so that means that the iOS 12 can run on what? The iPhone 5, perhaps 4? That's going back really far. It's unlikely that there are many devices that are still using iOS 12. 
you know, when we say that they only do one previous operating system, it's the same on the Mac. It doesn't mean that when your Mac is a year old, you can't get the updates. It just means that when your Mac is eight years old, you can't get the updates anymore because it's no longer um, compatible with the new operating system. The list of devices is uh, that iOS 12.4.4 is available for. includes the iPhone 5S, 6, 6 Plus, iPad Air, iPad Mini 2, iPad Mini 3, and iPod Touch 6th Generation. Now, remember, that was the iPod Touch that was available just until pretty recently, uh, like right around the same time that Apple was getting ready to release iOS 13. And so if if you got an iPod Touch a year ago, iOS 12.4.4 is the most recent version of iOS that you can run on it. I think the previous iPod Touch can't do 64-bit, and that's why they had to release a new version. But the 5S, that's two generations back from the 6S. So, you know, we're still going really far back. So if they decide to not update something in iOS 12, they're not harming people who have devices that they've gotten the last five years. Now, arguably iPads probably last longer than iPhones. Um, so you might be a little bit more concerned with something like that. In any case, we've seen this before. Uh, this isn't the first time. Uh, you, you know, we mentioned it a couple of times. The, the particular vulnerability that Apple felt was important enough to patch for iOS 12 users was a FaceTime vulnerability. Um, and Apple describes it as processing malicious video via FaceTime may lead to arbitrary code execution. Uh, basically meaning that if somebody has initiated a FaceTime call with you and they know the particular details of this vulnerability and how to exploit that vulnerability, they could potentially remotely hack your device just by initiating a FaceTime video call with you. Right. And you might not even know the person who's calling and that's why it gets really serious. Right. So, um, you know, it is a serious vulnerability potentially, uh, if somebody's targeting you. Um, so yeah, okay. I, I, I get why Apple patched this. Um, of course there are a bunch of other things that are also important that didn't get patched for iOS 12. So the, the best thing you can do, really, you want a device that can run iOS 13 and one that's not vulnerable to that checkmate vulnerability we've talked about. So you really want an iPhone 10s or newer. You don't really want anything older than that. But they're still selling the iPhone 8. They are still selling the iPhone 8. Yeah, uh, which is a vulnerable device. So, and, and there's nothing that Apple is going to do to that hardware to make it less vulnerable. But the iPhone 8 runs iOS 13. Yes. But there's a vulnerability that essentially was found in the hardware, remember? So if somebody gets physical access... Oh, right. The Spectre... Well, there, there was a vulnerability where if somebody gets physical access to your device, um, they can essentially hack it uh, and do things with it that you shouldn't be able to do with somebody with that physical access until that device gets rebooted. And then that setting, you know, gets you know, reverted. Basically, things get like changed back to a secure state again until somebody again gets physical okay. access to your device. So this this is one of those things where like if you don't if if you're the kind of person who doesn't think you'll ever be targeted, you don't do any international travel where you may potentially have to hand over your phone to a, an, you know, uh, an investigator or whatever. Um, you know, it's probably not a big deal and you can probably be just fine with an iPhone eight or 10, but just remember that if you do have a device that is of that vintage or older, 
Um, and you have to, you know, ever have it out of your sight, especially if you're giving it to security people at a checkpoint or something like that. Make sure you reboot the device to, you know, fix, to undo whatever they may have done to your device before you start using it again. Okay, there's another um, vulnerability that's been fixed, and someone has named it AirDOS, A-I-R-D-O-S, because it's a sort of denial of service thing that can happen with AirDrop. So people can flood your device with, I guess, photos, files, and things like that that they can send to you over AirDrop, and you can't do anything except accept or decline. You can't stop the flood of incoming uh, files or photos. So as we've said in the past, you should always have your airdrop settings set to contacts or no one, uh, not to everyone, because if it's set to everyone, someone can exploit this. What can they do? They can block your phone until you turn it off, uh, until you go someplace else. As like all denial of service, it doesn't really harm you it just prevents you from using your device. Right, exactly. It's not so much that it enables somebody to hack your device. It just prevents you from being able to use your device, which is also very annoying. Exactly. Okay, so new Mac Pro. Do you lust after the new Mac Pro? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I mean, it looks cool and all, and it's powerful, but it's not something I need. Yeah, it, it's been a long time that I haven't really cared about specs on a Mac. Um, I did have a cheese grater Mac Pro. I did have a trash can Mac Pro. They were a lot more affordable. The cheese grater was good because I could have four hard drives. I even had two optical drives in it. It was easy to add RAM. The trash can, you could add RAM as well. So, you know, you always have that flexibility that you don't in today's Mac Mini or today's iMac. What's really bothering me, and so you posted something in the show notes that the Mac Pro costs, you should have said can cost, the same as Tesla's Cybertruck. This is a headline that I've been seeing all over the place. Everybody wants to talk about how the Mac Pro costs the same as a Cybertruck. Okay, well. <laughs> Everyone knows someone on Twitter or I have a good friend who does this. Whenever there's a new Mac, he goes to the Apple website and chooses all the highest specs to see how much it yeah. costs. And I believe this comes out to $52,800. Um, it starts at 6000 Now, if you need a fast computer, so... Very quickly, we don't want to spend too much time because I doubt many people listening to this need the Mac Pro. If you're doing video editing for Hollywood movies, you need this. It's going to save you time. Here, it's that simple. If you're a photographer working with a lot of photo editing large files, the entry-level $6,000 model might really save you a lot of time. Um, but in between that, you know, what else could you use? 3D rendering? There are certain types of things where you're really going to benefit from the the multiple cores and, and the extra fast graphics. But for the rest of us, it's just not even, it's not even worth considering. Right. The average person has absolutely no need for a Mac pro, unless you really just want to show off and, you know, have the latest blingy uh, object that, that other people want to worship. So. <laughs> have you been watching any of the Apple TV plus shows? Um, you know, I, I I haven't started my trial. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, but I discovered that you can actually watch the first two episodes of of several of the new shows without even signing up for the trial. So I've I've done right. that. I've started watching a couple of the shows. I haven't signed up for the trial. I kind of feel like uh, at this point, I want to wait a little bit until some of the current shows, the, the first season is completely available before I sign up for the so trial. So you can binge. Yeah. yeah. So in the morning show, this one that's set in a morning TV show, everyone has Apple devices. There's iMacs, there's iPhones, there's iPads. 
I'm waiting for the first episode where someone's going to have a Mac Pro. <laughs> yeah, well. Now, you know they're going to have to do it at some point, and they've been waiting, obviously, for an episode that would come out um, after the Mac Pro's <laughs> release. This is a, a series where the episodes are coming out every week, which is the case of most Apple TV Plus shows, unlike Netflix that sometimes you know dumps the whole series at once. Right. Well, hey, you might as well put product placement in a movie or a TV show that you're producing yourself, right? Exactly. But what's kind of weird is that there was a, in a recent episode, they were on location in Los Angeles during these forest fires. And there were people on like aluminum tables set up with IMAX. Now I could understand if they had laptops when they're on location, but that they actually had IMAX that looked a little bit weird. And a, a, a little Easter egg was that the people from the morning show who went to Los Angeles stayed at a motel that was called the Safari Inn. Ah, <laughs> okay. Okay, let's take a break. We've got lots more news for you. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, in other news this week, um, The Register, which is a quite interesting uh, website in the UK that tends to have a lot of snark, is talking about Apple's intelligent tracking protection actually gets tracking protection, that a gap in browser privacy tech embarrassingly detected by Google. What happened here? Uh, well, we don't know all the details, but we know that Google, uh, by the way, Google has um, a team of researchers that's always discovering vulnerabilities and privately disclosing these things to the vendor. Uh, you know, in this case, it's Apple. So they found an Apple product vulnerability. They disclosed it to Apple. Eventually, this will get published. All the full details will get published by Google as part of their um, the way that they operate. But um, they gave Apple the opportunity to patch this first. So we don't know all the details yet, but essentially there was some method of, uh, being able to, uh, more easily track somebody or, uh, you know, at least, um, identify that somebody was using Apple's intelligent tracking protection, um, which in itself is a way to more uniquely identify somebody who's accessing your website. So basically it sort of did something that was the opposite of its intended purpose. It made it possible for somebody 
to tell that you were using intelligent tracking protection. Uh, not that big of a deal. It's but they couldn't really track you, it's, so it's not. <laughs> it's it, it it's a, a a little bit of a privacy weakness. I would say this isn't anywhere near as big of a deal as the register, of course, makes it sound like because they like to uh, yeah. you know inflate these sort of things and make them into a big deal. Um, it's it's a little bit humorous, but uh, hey, you know, app, if you've got the latest updates installed that Apple just released this week. Uh, then you're in good shape and you don't have to worry about this. Okay, so Google released a new version of Chrome. I just can't get used to these version numbers, 79. You know, I'm used to version numbers going up to like 6 or 8 or 10. And then often the, like Microsoft, they change to a year, Microsoft 2000, uh, Office 2001, et cetera. Um, so we're up to 79. And there are some really good features here that are making me actually consider switching to Chrome. Of course, since it's Google, I'm still hesitant. It will automatically check when you enter credentials, whether they've been compromised in a data breach. And they have improved their anti-phishing protection. Now, I don't really care too much about anti-phishing because I'm savvy enough that it would be pretty rare for me to get caught. I'm not challenging anyone out there to try to catch me. Um, But I think that Google is really doubling down on privacy in Chrome. um, Yet we still know that Google is Google. Well, of course, uh, Google Google will be Google, right? Um, but uh, I, I do like that they're at least making efforts to sort of um, counteract this, this whole perception that Google is anti-privacy and that they just want to invade your privacy. You know, um, there will always be people who will say that, you know, you should never use Chrome. And guess what? There are Google lists versions of Chrome. There are third-party browsers where somebody has taken the Chromium project and uh, which is the open source version of Chrome and then stripped out any references to Google uh, and, you know, released it as a new browser. So those exist out there. Like your favorite browser brave that we discussed in a previous episode. I'll link in the show notes to the episode where we talked about different browsers and their privacy and security features. Yeah. So, um, you know, but if you are a mainstream person who just uses the, the standard browsers and you don't want to use something weird like brave or Waterfox, <laughs> then uh, then Chrome is getting better. You know, um, it, honestly, I I would say as far as security, um, not talking about privacy, but as far as security, I think Chrome is probably one of the best browsers out there by default, just out of the box. Uh, yeah. Google patches very quickly, and they do a lot of security research. So um, I, I have to give them props for that. In other Google news, they've come out with an incognito mode in Google Maps for iOS. And that's really interesting because, you know, Google tracks where you've been and anything you've looked up and any locations you've searched for and the ability to turn on the incognito mode and say, well, give me directions to here or show me something, a certain type of store in in this area. um, I, I think that's a good idea in terms of privacy. And I don't think that Apple does that. I mean, Apple's going to say that they don't keep track of the data the same way, but Apple doesn't give you that option. I've actually wanted a feature like this for a long time because, uh, you know, it's very rare that I'll look something up in Google Maps or any map app 
um, and don't necessarily want that to always be in my history. But where I find this interesting, mostly it's for me, it's not necessarily a privacy thing. It's just that I'm curious about, hey, how far am I from this one point in the world? And so I'll punch yep. it in and now it shows up in my history forever and I don't need it to be there. So I would actually use this from a more practical and not necessarily privacy protecting perspective. I, I This is a feature I've wanted for a long time, so I'm really happy to see this coming. Okay. The last thing we're going to talk about is something that actually concerns both of us. Um, Gizmodo has an article, Rings Hidden Data Let's Us Map Amazon's Sprawling Home Surveillance Network. Now, we both have Ring doorbells. We don't have Ring's alarm system, uh, which is also available. Um, Gizmodo, it seems, got access to a bunch of data. They're talking about 65,800 individual posts shared by users of the Neighbors app. Um, Now, we were discussing this before the show. Here in the UK, they don't have this Neighbors feature, whereas you do have this. So you can join a group with people around you and you can share information. You can post videos. Um, We don't have that at all here. But it turns out that these posts contain the coordinates of where your Ring doorbell is. It doesn't seem that the coordinates are necessarily in the videos themselves, but that they're in the posts because in the Ring app, you set up um, your information with your precise address. Exactly. Yeah. What we've been trying to figure out, um, we've been sort of like trying to read between the lines here with this article. And it sounds like what happened is that either somebody contacted Gizmodo with some information or maybe somebody at Gizmodo found a way to do this. But the exact wording they use is Gizmodo has acquired data over the past month connected to nearly 65,800 individual posts shared by users of the neighbor's app. The posts, which reach back 500 days from the point of collection, offer extraordinary insight into the proliferation of ring video surveillance across American neighborhoods, yada, yada, yada. So basically what, what they're claiming is um, that these posts, the, the posts, not the videos, um, apparently are what contain this uh, geographic data. Um, when I open my ring app and I look at the neighbors section of the app, um, what, I, what I see is sort of an octagon shape around where I live. So evidently anything that I post that I choose to post, uh, from one of my cameras that's associated with my home address, um, had the post has a GPS coordinate and it doesn't matter really how, how precise that GPS coordinate is because you can still figure out where somebody lives. Even if you have, you know, not very many decimal points, um, on your GPS coordinate, but, um, but that is the information that allows Ring to know who else, what other Ring users to share your camera uh, with. You might know that some other social apps like Nextdoor, you can pick which communities around you you want to join and see posts from. And the way that Ring works, you've got this sort of octagon shape around you where your posts will be seen. And so if someone else happens to live within your, you know, your, if you live within someone else's octagon, <laughs> they will see your posts. And so that's why this uh, location information is important. But um, evidently somebody was able to get a hold of this. I don't know what, whether this means that somebody 
hacked Ring servers or whether Ring is doing something publicly that makes this potentially available to anybody who knows the right way to get access to it. But um, something is going on here and uh, Ring needs to answer for this and potentially fix something. Well, as you point out, anyone in your octagon knows what you post. The article says, in Beacon, New York, a reporter drove to coordinates that accompanied a neighbor's post about thieves stealing packages. Although they didn't pinpoint the user's home precisely, it only took a matter of minutes to locate it. A particular fence shown in the video wasn't hard to spot. So even if you don't have the precise coordinates, you might see something. It could be the car that's always parked across from someone's house. It could be the color of the doors on a house if the colors are different. Right. You can certainly drive around the neighborhoods within this radius and figure out, yeah, where this particular video came from. So that's absolutely true. Last but not least, and we spent a lot of time before the show trying to figure out exactly what's going on here. Apple used the DMCA, Digital Millennial Copyright Act, to take down a tweet containing an iPhone encryption key. Now, we're linking to an article on Motherboard on the Vice website. They seem to be the first people who reported this. Um, someone tweeted an e encryption key, which the article says could be used to reverse engineer the secure enclave processor, the part of the iPhone that handles data encryption and stores other data. Now, we scratched our heads because the article talks about jailbreaking. It points to Reddit talking about jailbreaking. I can't imagine that there is an encryption key that would essentially be a backdoor into any iPhone. Now, this was specific to, I think, the iPhone XR, but still, it's really not clear what's going on here. Saguza, the person who posted this on, on Twitter, is a security researcher. They do a lot of things related to iOS, and they've actually been credited by Apple for a number of, uh, for discovering a number of vulnerabilities. When this post, uh, you know, was made on Twitter, people started speculating, of course, ooh, what does this mean? People figured out that this apparently was the secure enclave processor uh, encryption key. But what does that mean? It, it, it was specifically for the iPhone XR. Um, and there are multiple, you know, models, uh, actually as kind of sub models of the iPhone XR. We don't know whether this public posting of the secure enclave processor means that all iPhone XRs are now vulnerable. We also don't know, does this mean that Saguza has a method of obtaining the secure enclave processor for lots of other versions uh, and models of the iPhone? Um, we don't really know a whole lot of details about what this means. We don't know what you can do with this encryption key. That that's that's where this whole thing becomes a little bit confusing and gray because there's just not a lot of information out there. I think if it really could unlock the phone entirely, get at your personal data, we would have heard a lot more from a lot more people about this. It really seems limited to jailbreaking and I think the people at Motherboard didn't really understand that. Well, I, I guess we'll see. I mean, the secure enclave processor is uh, is important when it comes to data privacy. You know, if somebody gets a hold of your device, that's what's essentially keeping your private data private. But I can't imagine that there is a single encryption key um, for all, even a specific iPhone model that would allow Apple. Apple has said that there's no backdoor to get into iPhones. They've said this in court. Yeah. Um, if this if this does that, then this is a backdoor, essentially, right? Well, I, what I suspect is that um, there's 
more to it than that. There's, there's not just one thing that this is the one thing that like encrypts everything for everybody's device. I think it's more that maybe this uh, encryption key combined with other things might be what's protecting you. And there may be device specific things. Um, Apple does have a lot of this stuff documented and it is available publicly, but this is very complex stuff that, uh, you know, unless you're an encryption and, and or hardware engineer, um, it's not going to be necessarily all that meaningful to dig through all this documentation. But um, in any case, uh, th- this if, if there is something really interesting about how this could be used to attack somebody, I'm sure that eventually we'll see more information about this available online. And we'll let you know next week if we find out any more. Until then, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. Intego.com.